So we turn to God's Word together, and Belinda is going to bring us a reading, perhaps familiar to many of us, from Matthew chapter 25. Good morning. Our reading today is about the sheep and the goats, and it's taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or ill, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hello everyone. Shall I let you into a little secret? It was a minor miracle that we got Belinda's recording this morning. During the first take, the camera actually fell off the stand, crashing dramatically to the ground. And that stopped us in our tracks. And it gave Belinda a fit of the giggles, which isn't exactly what you want. Anyway, we made it. So good morning, and it's great to see you, or at least to be one together, as we come to look at Matthew chapter 25, and to look at Christ the King, and we'll see the importance together of faith producing fruit. And then on Tuesday's Bread for Today, we're going to look at a parallel passage in Ezekiel chapter 34, and we're going to look at the question of how we respond to poor leadership. Last Sunday, Joe concluded our series, Making a Difference Where You Are. And we've been looking in depth at fruitfulness on our front lines. Well, today I'm going to alter our perspective from the hugely practical to the grand panorama of eternity as we look at Christ the King and how faith produces fruit. A few years ago, I was standing in a football fan zone in, the, in a town in Holland watching a World Cup quarter-final. At half-time, 
I got into a conversation with a local. Why are you here, he asked. Well, I was there for work. What do you do, I asked. I build yachts. How many do you build a year? About one every three years. I look quizzical. To me, a yacht has a couple of sails and someone wearing a life jacket. Can you see where this is going? He'd read my mind and he smiled. The yacht I'm building has got two helipads, he said. It wasn't so much a small dinghy as a mega million pound private cruise liner. How I had vastly underestimated. In the same way, do we underestimate Christ? Do we imagine a scaled down version, seeing him in his human aspect, but not in his expansive divine glory? At Christmas, we see Christ the baby. In the Gospels, we see Christ the man, alone and tempted. And at Easter, we see Christ the Saviour, beaten and crucified. This is Christ in human scale. But in Matthew 25, we see Christ the King, glorious, exalted, reigning and coming in judgment. Even see Christ as just the King is an underestimate. Kingship speaks of power and authority and majesty. But of course, Christ is more than a king. He is God. No king could create the universe. No king is everywhere, seeing everything. No king knows our thoughts and no king can forgive us our sins. Christ is more than a king. He is king of kings. He is Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am. He is the Lord God Almighty. And we get glimpses of the awesome Lord Jehovah throughout the Bible. Isaiah on his face when the glory of the Lord fills this temple. The Apostle John seeing one with blazing eyes, whose voice thunders like rushing waters, and out of whose mouth comes a double-edged sword. This is our God, the Lion of Judah, the consuming fire. And in Matthew chapter 25, we see one particular aspect of Christ the King, and that is Christ the Judge. With the sound of the trumpet, he comes in stunning majesty, with a deafening accompaniment of a myriad of angels to sit resplendent on his throne, the throne of judgment. Before him, as far as the eye can see, a great sea of nations gathered before him, coming from the four winds, to stand in judgment before Christ the Judge. The holiest of heaven comes to meet the sinfulness of earth. This is no invitation. This is a summons. The declaration has been issued and the whole world comes to bow before him. It's what we sing about. You know the song, don't you? He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power, and every knee will bow before him. Judgment is declared. We dare not underestimate Christ the King, Christ the Judge. The purpose of Christ's judgment is a final separation. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares where the grain and the weeds have grown together 
And now the harvest is judged. He separates the good crop into his barn from the weeds which he burns. You don't want grain contaminated with weeds. Separation is essential. Justice protects the pure and separates away the harmful. Last week, the death was announced of the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe. In the late 1970s and early 80s in Yorkshire, he vilely killed 13 women and attempted to kill another seven. We lived in Yorkshire at that time. There was palpable fear on the streets. Women wouldn't go out alone. Men would deliberately cross the street rather than follow a woman and cause her fear. As police appealed for help, men would look at one another in suspicion. Could it be you? There was a clamour for justice, a yearning ache for this evil to be removed from our streets, to be separated away. There were scenes of baying mobs, crowding the streets during the trial, demanding justice. We want justice. We need justice. We are only safe when justice is done. Christ the King, the true Crown Prosecution Service is coming to administer justice. And Matthew 25 tells us the basis on which he will judge. The crowd are before him, and they're divided into two groups. And he says to the righteous on his right side, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. They are the good grain. They are invited in, into their mansion in heaven, into the place where tears and pain and death are no more, to the place where they are crowned as co-heirs with Christ. This is Christ's inheritance for those who live for him. But the righteous are bemused, confused. When they hear the explanation Christ gives, their reward is because they've been feeding the hungry, inviting the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned, caring for the ill. They're almost dumbstruck. They don't remember doing acts of love to Jesus. But Christ says that the acts of love you show to others, you show to me. But wait a minute. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. How come the reward is based on works of love? Well, these acts don't save you. They're saved through faith. But these acts of love are a sign of true faith. Faith produces fruit. By their fruit you will know them. When Christ sees our acts of love, our fruit, he knows that our faith is true. In Matthew 7:18, Jesus says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Do you see that? Christ the judge is recognising them by their fruit. He continues, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Faith produces fruit. And what is the will of our Father in heaven? What is the greatest commandment? 
Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. And who is my neighbour? The person in need. Then Christ turns to those on his left. And he sends them away into eternal punishment. They had not produced good fruit. They had not performed acts of love for Christ. Perhaps they went to church. Perhaps they tithed their income. Perhaps they took pride in their religious work. But they did not do these works out of love for Jesus, but to win praise for themselves. They had not truly loved their neighbour. When they hadn't helped their neighbour in need, they were in fact refusing to help Christ himself. 1 John 4 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So they go away to eternal punishment. This is the last judgment. It's final. There's no appeal because God judges justly. Many are under a false impression about the route to glory. In a YouGov poll, it was found that 80% of people who believed in an afterlife believed that they would go to heaven. Are they right? There is no more important question than this. On the day of judgment, will I be standing on his right or on his left? Will you be carrying your sin and be judged for it? Or will you have put your trust in Christ? Christ offers us free forgiveness so that when that separation comes, he can gather us in rather than cast us out. How perverse if we should know all this but not accept it. Do you look at that seat of judgment with confidence or with fear? Christ the King calls us to come, to come in repentance, to come turning our back on our self-centred life and to claim him as our King. For those in Christ there is no condemnation. Judgment was satisfied on the cross of Calvary and because Christ lives, we too will live eternally. Christ then becomes the one we live for, the one who has our allegiance, the one who has our obedience, the one who has our affection. We give him our life and he gives us his life, and in us, his life bears fruit. Faith bears fruit, the fruit of loving our neighbours as ourselves. So how can we, how can our faith bear fruit in lockdown? Well, it's just as Jesus said, it's through caring. Caring enough to pray for somebody. Caring enough to phone. Caring enough to share a walk. Caring enough to offer help. Caring enough to be a friend. Faith that flows in is seen as it flows back out. If there's no water in the tap, the tank is empty. But where living water fills your life, then it bursts out. Christ the King is coming as judge to separate those whose faith has produced fruit from those who have not done the will of his Father.
wanted any other way. Then we will see Christ, the Lord Jehovah in all his dazzling brightness. And we will prostrate, fall in worship. For now we wait. We wait for that day when we too will see Christ as King. But for now we are called to love, to love our neighbour as ourselves with a faith that produces fruit. And for tomorrow we cry, come, King Jesus. Amen.